I appreciated Thomas praying. One of the conversations I was able to have with Thomas this week, we were talking about what are some of the hard parts about being a teacher. So there's a lot of really good things about being a teacher. There's a lot of really fun parts. But one of the worst parts of being a teacher is grading. I, I know students often think homework is awful. Believe me, grading is worse. <laughs> grading is, is, is miserable, but there's actually something worse than grading. So imagine the following. You have a bunch of students, and you, you put them in a classroom, and you give them an exam, and they have studied for six, eight hours leading up to this exam to prepare for it. They have an hour to write down all the knowledge that they possibly can about the subject. They get it all written down on this piece of paper. They hand it in. Their teacher takes those home, spends eight hours grading those papers, carefully marking everything that's good, everything that's bad. Total, we've spent dozens of hours between the students and the teacher. The teacher marks, puts either a two or three digit number on the top of that paper, hands it back to the students, and guess what happens? It goes from their desk immediately into the trash can. <laughs> That's what grading is. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but in both cases, the students don't even look at it. When we have been evaluated, when we have been looked at, we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to both what we're doing well and what we're doing poorly. We need to grow through the process of evaluation. We're going to be in our Bibles in Revelation chapter 3 today. Revelation, written by the Apostle John in roughly 96 AD, begins in chapter 2 with seven letters to seven different churches. And each of these letters is an evaluation of that church. Most of the letters are very negative evaluations. But there's one that's a very positive evaluation. And I think we can learn a lot from the positive evaluation that was given to the church in Philadelphia. The positive evaluation that Jesus gave to the church in Philadelphia. We can learn from this. So turn in your Bibles to Revelation 3. We're going to start in verse 7, and we're just going to read Revelation 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem, 
which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The city of Philadelphia, not our modern city of Philadelphia here in the United States, but rather the ancient city of Philadelphia, which is located in Turkey, in modern-day Turkey, was formed in roughly the 2nd century B.C., and it was sort of a gateway to the east. If you wanted to go into Asia, you would pass through the city of Philadelphia. The city itself suffered a major earthquake in AD 17, and Emperor Tiberius, in order to help them rebuild, gave them a major tax break. They renamed themselves, actually quite regularly, they would, they would rename their city after anybody who helped them out. And so they went through several names, but by the time John is writing, they're known as the city of Philadelphia. I want you to see, as we look at this city, that as a church, we have to look at what we do well, so that we know where we can grow out of, so that we know what God has equipped us for, so that we know where God has opened doors. I want you to see that a dynamic church is a church that trusts in, relies on, holds, and listens to Christ. A dynamic church is going to be one that trusts in, relies on, holds, and listens to Christ. So our first point is a dynamic church confidently trusts Christ. Look at how Christ is described there in verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, the word angel there is angelos, which actually means messenger. It doesn't necessarily mean a spiritual being. It could very easily be to the pastor, the person who's responsible for the church in Philadelphia. Here's what you need to know. These are the words of him who is holy and true. Christ is holy and true. A dynamic church can trust in Christ because Christ is holy and true. Actually, this is a stronger statement. It Really, we should probably say the one who is the holy, the definite article there, and the true. It's not just that Christ is holy. He is the very thing of holiness. Christ defines what holiness is. He defines what truth is. We can confidently trust Christ because he is none other than God himself. In fact, God the Father is described in Revelation 6.10 as the holy and true. So if John is writing here early that Christ is the holy and true, writes later that God the Father is the holy and true, he's making a profound statement. God, Jesus, the same, holy and true, completely and utterly trustworthy. We live in a society that likes to trust in people. It seems like on at least a monthly basis, unfortunately maybe more often, we read in the news about men who have failed. Men who have failed to hold up ethical standards. Men who have failed to hold sexual purity. Men who have failed to tell the truth. Men who have failed to be humble. And unfortunately, often all of these stories are men who are leading churches. We live in a society that elevates men 
and fails to elevate Christ. A dynamic church must have its confidence placed not in man, but in Christ. Not in its leaders, but in Christ. Not in any individual except Jesus Christ. But read on. We see Christ is not just described as the holy and true. He's described as the one who holds the key of David. What is this key of David? We have to understand, probably back to Isaiah 22, the idea that there were people who were palace administrators. They were the ones who had the privilege of opening and shutting the doors to let people in or to keep people out. You see, if you're a king, it's kind of underneath you to open the door. Someone else is going to take care of that for you. Right? You don't have time for that. You're busy administering. You don't have time to decide who gets to come into the palace and who doesn't. That's someone else's job. That's the idea of the key of David. Notice, though, who it is that holds the key of David. It's not some administrator. It's Jesus himself. Jesus is the good administrator. While a normal earthly king can't manage everything, Jesus can. Jesus can handle all the details. Jesus gets more than 24 hours in a day. Maybe. But he has all the time, all the opportunity to do it. All right. What else do we see here, though? I see Jesus is the source of blessing. Christ is the source of blessing. Look at what it says. It says, he is the one who opens and no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Picture blessing, opportunity, pouring down from heaven. And who is it that has authority to open and shut the floodgates of heaven? Jesus is the one who is holy and true. Jesus is the one who holds the keys of David to let people in and out of the kingdom. Jesus is the one who opens and closes heaven and God's blessing. Jesus is the one in whom we confidently trust. A dynamic church must confidently trust Jesus. So I want to give you an action step, and it's going to be a little bit abstract. We will nail things down as we go. But it's take confidence in the holy and true Christ. What does that look like? Don't worry. Jesus has this. We are stepping out in faith with this construction project. Don't worry. Jesus has this. We are stepping out in faith in our transition process. Don't worry. Jesus has this. We confidently trust Jesus because he's the only one that we can place our confidence in. I want to move on to verses 8 through 10. And what I want you to see in verses 8 through 10 is that the dynamic church relies on Christ to overcome obstacles. The first thing that I see, Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know your works. Jesus knows us. It's interesting. There are seven letters within the book of Revelation written to seven different churches, all in the same area of Turkey, kind of in a circle, 
Probably what happened is the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation, and they passed it around to each of the cities. And each of the churches was able to read their portion of the letter that was written to them. Each of the seven letters has this statement, I know your deeds. Jesus was pointing out to each of the seven churches. He knew what was going on. As a church, Jesus knows us. Jesus knows what we're doing well. Jesus knows what we're doing poorly. Jesus knows where we are struggling. And Jesus knows where we're victorious. He knows each of us individually. He knows us corporately. He knows in your heart where you're struggling. He knows in your relationships where you're struggling. He knows where you're tempted. He knows where you have victory. He knows us. Look at what he says. I know your deeds. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Jesus knows what we're doing, and he is the one who opens doors for us. He is the one that opens the door for us to access heaven. Salvation comes by no other name other than Jesus. He's the one who died for our sins. He's the one who rose again so that we could live with him in heaven. He opens the doors of heaven for us. He's the one that opens the doors of opportunity. In 1 Corinthians 16.9, the Apostle Paul describes his next missionary journey as an open door, an opportunity to step through an open door to access what Jesus has set before him. I believe Jesus has set before us an open door. This project has been amazing. As pieces have fallen into place, whether that be an architect firm that understands us, a banker in Lincoln, Nebraska, that works with churches nationwide, individuals with expertise, Every step of the way, Jesus keeps opening the door, saying, come on through, come on through. Jesus sets open doors before us. And when Jesus opens a door, no one can shut it. But I want you to also recognize the limitations that the Church of Philadelphia had in and of themselves. They're described as having little strength. We don't know exactly what that means. It probably means they weren't the church of great means. No matter what church you're at, I suspect you could always use a little more. Emily and I had the opportunity to, on Friday and on Saturday of this week, to be in two very, very large churches in Texas. I mean, their church probably had the vertical space to hold our church on its side. These were enormous churches. My guess is that they wish they had more. We always wish we had just a little more, but Jesus always gives us what we need. We have little strength. We are not the biggest church in Lincoln. It doesn't matter. Because it's not our strength that matters. Jesus says, I know you have little strength, but it's not your strength that matters. 
It's the fact that you keep my word. Your strength is irrelevant. Your faithfulness to my word is what matters. They keep the word of Christ. They refuse to renounce his name. They received opposition. It talks about opposition. It says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. There is real opposition. And we must recognize the enemy when we face opposition. The enemy is none other than Satan himself. A dynamic church will face opposition. There will be times when people have a hard time. There will be rough patches. I am learning to trust God and even thank God in the rough patches. Because what I'm learning is that the rough patches are evidence that God's at work. See, if we weren't doing anything important, I don't think Satan would waste his time on us. But as we take important steps, we face opposition. But we don't have to worry because we are kept by Christ. We don't fear because Christ will overcome our obstacles as we are kept by Christ. Verse 10 says, Since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, I will keep you from the hour of trial. Jesus will ultimately protect his church. Jesus will keep us from the ultimate hour of trial in the final judgment. But even now, he protects his church. He keeps his church. Emily and I had a dog for a number of years. And our dog was afraid of lightning. So when a thunderstorm would roll through, we had two choices. Either I had to sleep in the office with the dog crate, or the dog crate got moved into the bedroom. Because that was the only way we were getting any sleep, if there was a thunderstorm rolling through. Because the dog would go ballistic. Now, I had no power to actually protect that dog from lightning. No power at all. But the dog trusted me. How much more should we trust Jesus, who actually does have the power? Jesus does actually have the power. But so often, our loyalty fails, and we don't even go to him. All I had to do was be in the same room with the dog, and everything was better. Oh, to have that sort of peace with Jesus. To be in the same room and everything's better. Let's take an action step. Our action step is that we must recognize the reality of opposition. Recognize the reality of opposition. It's coming. It's here. Rely on Christ. He's the one that will keep us. All right. Third. A dynamic church looks forward to Christ. A dynamic church is a church that's looking forward. It looks to Christ's coming. In verse 11, Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Do you remember earlier what it was that they had? It wasn't strength. 
It was the fact that they held to the word of Christ. Hold on to what you have. Hold on to the word of Christ. Christ is coming, and he's bringing reward. We look to his coming. We look to his reward. We look to eternity. Look at the promises that are made here. We are given the name of God. We're given to be pillars in the temples of God. The idea of a pillar in the temple of God is something that doesn't move. If we had pillars holding up our ceiling, they wouldn't move. We wouldn't get getting rid of those, right? If you look back at the architecture plan and you look at the coffee nook, there are some pillars. We're not going to be moving those around. We hope not. We move the music stands, right? They go one place, they go another place. It doesn't matter. Pillars don't move. God promises to make us pillars in his temple. He says he will put his name on us. Remember what the city of Philadelphia did. Every time somebody came around and helped them out, what did they do? They changed their name. The idea here, I think, I think John is making a play on this. You guys have changed your name a bunch. One day, you'll have God's name, and that will be permanent. God will claim you. The name of the city of God, Jerusalem itself, the idea there is an eternal abode. No more would the city be rocked by earthquakes because they would have the steadfast city of God to inhabit. And then what is probably one of the hardest things to interpret in this passage, I will write on them my new name. What in the world is Jesus' new name? I actually think there's a, a translation issue here going on. In Greek, you can actually have uh, of and from, from the same ending of a word. I don't think it is the new name of Christ, but a new name from Christ. A couple of us had the opportunity to go watch a new Marvel movie. I won't give any examples from it. Tony Stark gets a new name right? Iron Man. Is it that Tony Stark is a different person when he gets the new name? Does he have different access? Does he have different power? Does he have something's different? Sure. I think the new name from Jesus, think of it as your superhero name. In eternity, Jesus is going to claim you. He is going to empower you. He is going to be your strength. The city of Philadelphia had a history of renaming itself. But we get to rename ourselves, Jesus gets to rename us, with his name, in his power. All right, my final point, verse 13. A dynamic church listens to Christ. Whoever has the ear, let him hear. Whoever means all. Everybody who can hear, listen. Listen up. Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Because it was Philadelphia back then in 96 AD. It's us today. We need to be a dynamic church. A dynamic church 
that trusts Christ, that overcomes obstacles by Christ, that looks forward to Christ, and that listens to Christ. We've been uh, building a puzzle. We started with faith. And I told you that faith leads to faithfulness. After faith, we added promise. And faith plus promise leads to confidence. Now let's add foundation. Because you see, faith plus promise plus a foundation leads to dynamic. The Willis Tower, you might know it as the Sears Tower. It had its name changed. Things happen. The Willis Tower is known for having been built to withstand winds coming off of Lake Michigan. Because the winds coming off of Lake Michigan are very strong. And if you are at the top of the Sears Tower or the Willis Tower, and the wind really starts blowing, the tower will sway three feet in either direction for a total of six feet. It's built to do this so that it doesn't get destroyed by high winds. It's built to sway. It's built to be dynamic. But in order to build a tower to be dynamic, to be able to move with the current, there's something really important. The base can't move. You see, if the base of the tower starts moving, you've got major problems. It won't stand. A dynamic church has to be built on a foundation of Christ. There are things that change. We're going to change our building. We might play a different instrument one Sunday. We might have different pews. We might teach a different Sunday school class. There are things in our church that can change as we sway but there is something that can never change, and that's our foundation, and that's Christ. In order to be a dynamic church, we must have our foundation. We must have our faith. We must stand on the promises. Our memory verse of the week is Matthew 16, 18. Matthew 16, 18 says, let's read it together, Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Matthew 16, 18. It's all about Jesus. He is our foundation. As we go forward, Jesus is the foundation on which we depend. It's the foundation on which we've always depended. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the foundation that he is. I thank you that we can trust him as our source of confidence, as our hope, that we can look forward to an eternity with him. I pray that we would never lose sight of Jesus but that we would confidently, consistently put him in our focus. Help us as a church. As we weather change, we're talking about major remodel. Never 
to allow anything other than Jesus to be our foundation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.